Hello. I'm going to talk today on self-reliance. When I was in Italy a few years ago in Florence, I got a parking ticket. And the letter that came with the parking ticket was addressed, Egregio Signore. And I thought, Egregio, well, egregious in English, it's not a very much used word, but uh, in case you don't know it, it means sort of less than good, contemptible. And I thought, well, are they giving me a ticket and also trying to insult me? So I looked it up in the dictionary and I found that it means honorable. And I looked it up further to find out how the same basic root word could have such opposite meanings and discovered that it means out of the herd, beyond the herd. It's very interesting, isn't it, that the same word could be translated in English to mean because of its being out of the herd, meaning worse than good, worse than normal. And in Italian, being outside the herd means better than normal. There is something in human nature that seems to try to tie people down and make them a part of the herd. And have you ever had, I, I suppose probably you have, the experience that you wanted to do something and people's argument against it was, well, uh, that isn't the way it's done or other people have tried it and it doesn't work, or what are you doing trying to be different? We have an expression, they laughed at Fulton. You remember that one? Fulton wanted to build a ship out of steel, and we all know that steel sinks in water. And so it was ridiculous for Robert Fulton to build a ship out of steel. It had to be wood because wood floats. But, of course, when it floated, then everybody had to accept that they had been wrong. Well, again and again we find that any bid to do something differently, to do something better, tends to receive the response, well, that isn't what we do, that isn't what others do. And too often, people allow themselves to be guided by the opinions of others rather than by what they feel from within. There's a very interesting concept in architecture that Frank Lloyd Wright came up with a building normally is held together by its walls, by the outside. But his concept was to build a building like a tree, with the trunk in the center and all the floors cantilevered like branches going out uh, in all directions from that trunk. He said that on this principle, he could build a mile-high building. Well, he never got an opportunity to build a building a mile high. But if you go to different cities, you'll see that there are a few buildings here and there that are built on that principle. The idea that everything has to be held together from outside is intrinsic to human thinking because we're accustomed to looking at things from the outside. In fact, however, Every great work of genius, every new discovery, every great idea, or to bring it back to the mundane, to do anything well, requires a centeredness and a moving outward from that center. I remember another example. One time I was on the ski slopes years ago, and there was a woman on the slope who had never been on skis before, and she had the courage to go on the intermediate slope rather than the beginner's slope, her way of going downhill was to ski diagonally 
across the slope, reach the other side, fall down, get out, put her skis on, and ski diagonally across, fall at the other side, and so on. She went down the hill. And people had tried to tell her how to turn, but she was all thinking of it from the outside. You've got to move your hip this way and put your weight here and move your ski like that. And uh, it just was beyond her. And a thought occurred to me watching her and just feeling sympathetic for her. And I suggested to her, why don't you think of your body as being centered as it is in the spine and supported from the spine rather than centered outside and supported from outside. Try to feel that you're skiing not where your legs and arms and elbows are, but that you're skiing from your spine and that every movement comes naturally from a movement that begins at your center. So that if you want to turn, you're thinking here rather than here. And she saw me uh, about a half an hour later and she was, her eyes were shining with excitement. And she was saying, you know, it works, it works, I'm not falling down. Well, this is something that you will see that good athletes have. They always have a sense of being centered. Good dancers also are always like that. You have heard the expression, someone who isn't good at sports is all thumbs. And uh, in your work, in your relations with other, in everything that you do, you will find that if you can become centered within, then you will be able to accomplish things far better than if you worry about the effect, the uh, impact, uh, what other people will think of you. We live too much in the opinions of others. And very often it happens, Emerson said in his essay on self-reliance, which was a favorite of mine back in college. And he said, too often we have to take our good ideas from other people. That is to say, we don't dare to express them because they're new. Then we hear other people say them and we recognize that they're good, but by then those ideas belong to somebody else. In uh, geometry, the discovery of uh, spherical geometry um, was, was uh, well, they call it Riemann, I believe, but it was begun by two, uh, one was a Hungarian, I think the other one was a Russian, Lobachevsky and Bolyai were their names. Back in the last century, they came up with the discovery that Euclid is not the last word, that there are other kinds of geometry that explain things just as well and certain things a great deal better. And they were laughed and jeered and mocked at, and everybody said they were mad. But finally, it turned out that they were right. Well, when they were accepted, then the best mathematician in France, whose name I forget, finally admitted that he had had that idea too, but hadn't dared propose it. And so he was in the same position as those people that Emerson talked about. He had to take his idea from Lobachevsky and Bolyai. Many times, in fact, scientific discoveries have been made simultaneously by more than one person. In this case, it was three. Only two of them claimed it. In the case of evolution, it was Darwin and also Wallace. If Darwin had published his book one week later, we would now be talking of Wallaceism instead of Darwinism because he had basically the same idea. I think it's rather too bad because Wallace had a more spiritual uh, approach to the subject, even though he had the same basic conclusions. Well, the whole point is 
that most people don't dare rely on themselves, on their own intuition, on their own common sense. They're always looking to see what other people think, what other people would like to do. A very interesting and rather uh, discouraging, uh, in a way, uh, experiment has been done. Discouraging in the sense that it sort of makes you discouraged with, with uh, this particular foible in human nature. They have taken five people and told, they, they've drawn two lines on a blackboard. The top one was a great deal longer, obviously longer, than the bottom one. And they've told four people in this group of five to say that the bottom line was longer. Now, would you believe that in 80% of the cases, after asking four people which line was longer, and each one of those four said that the bottom line was longer, in 80% of the cases, the fifth person said the bottom line was longer. He could see that it wasn't longer, but he didn't dare step outside the group opinion of the others. There are wonderful things to be said about democracy. I don't think that we've got a better system that we could opt for. And yet, every system has its weaknesses. And the weakness of democracy is that we think, is the thought that we can vote excellence into being. The majority vote doesn't in any way guarantee that a thing is right. It doesn't even guarantee that it's the thing that they would like once they've got it. It's been said that the majority is always wrong. The minority has a possibility of being right. Well, I don't want to take that thought too far because I'm not an elitist. I, I believe in our system of democracy. But I think that when it comes to important decisions, we can't leave those up to, uh, up to a, a community vote. Oh yeah, we can let the president do his little thing. But when it comes to issues of right and wrong, above everything else, we have to feel our own conscience. So when I said important decisions, in a way I was joking, but in a way I'm also serious, because issues of right and wrong are really more important by far than deciding what the tax system should be and whether we should raise or lower the taxes and all the various things that presidents have to decide. Nobody can decide what is to be right or what is to be wrong. We can perceive what is right and wrong. We can't vote on it. We can learn by experience. We can think that something was right and we try it and then gradually we learn that it, it didn't work so it had to be wrong. But finally, it is always that lone voice that stands out from the herd, that is egregious in the original sense, out of the herd. That lone voice is the only one that is likely to be able to, to have that courage to be able to face things as he really sees them. And if you will look at the great advances that have been made in every field, in religion, in politics, in science, in art, in moral philosophy, in every field, you will find that it is always some lone person who has the integrity not to care what people think, not to be indifferent to it in the sense of insensitive to what people think. That's the mistake that Ayn Rand made in her 
books, The Fountainhead and uh, Atlas Shrugged and so on. It was all opinion, but opinion is, is worth nothing. What we're really talking about is that sensitivity to be able to perceive a truth. And that requires silence. That requires going within. That requires shutting the door on all the voices that are shouting a yes, no, maybe, perhaps, and just says, let me feel. It's not a matter of opinion. Einstein didn't have the opinion that uh, uh, led to the law of relativity and the uh, great, the great discoveries he made on the basis of the speed of time, of light, I mean. The, the, what he had was the sensitivity. Now, there's another interesting thing, not only about Einstein, but about just almost everybody who has really contributed something to civilization. Einstein was judged by his professors to be one person in the class who would probably fail in life. Edison was sent home from school when he was just a boy. His teacher said he was, it was not possible to teach this boy. Very many of the people who have made the greatest contributions have left school or have left college because they understood that it wasn't possible for them to achieve what they wanted to achieve by just taking the opinions of others. Sometimes a contrarian philosophy works. Sometimes it helps to say, well, if everybody is uh, uh, thinking this way, then probably they're wrong, and so I'll take the opposite stand. But that is certainly not the way that leads to genius. In the community that I founded, Ananda World Brotherhood Village near Nevada City, California, um, there was some woman nearby who claimed to have the uh, ability to see whether the mothers in this community would have boys or girls when they gave birth. And I gained a reputation for being totally infallible. And all I really did was find out what she said and say the opposite, because I was convinced she didn't know. And it turned out she didn't know so badly that she was always wrong. Finally, I decided I'd better quit while I was ahead, so I just refused to predict anymore. But the thing is, that isn't the way of genius. That's just the way of, of uh, one way of balancing the laws of probability. Whereas if you really want to have a sense of what has to be, what is right, what is the right solution for yourself in this problem, to draw inspiration at will, for what you want to write, or whether you want to compose, or how you want to advise somebody, then it's very important to withdraw your mind. You know what a painter does when he's looking at a painting? Let's say it's a very large painting, a mural, for example. He has to get back to, so that he can see it in proportion. Only when he's far enough back will he be able to know even how to do this one <clears throat> little uh, brush stroke that he's contemplating, whether that color will balance with the color of the whole, whether that line will balance well with the lines of, of the rest of his painting. And so it is with your life. The first thing that you need to do, and don't be swayed by reason. Very often, reason is in the camp of habit. Reason and common sense will tell you a thing can't be done when someone comes along and 
proves that it can. Aeronautical engineers have uh, many times used this illustration. They say that the bumblebee, according to aeronautical principles, can't fly. And then they go on with a wry smile to say, but the bumblebee doesn't know it, and that's why he's able to fly. The thing, the thing is that, that uh, common sense will often tell you that a thing isn't possible. But if you step back from reason, not just other people's opinions, but reason itself, step back and feel deeply within yourself, there is a voice within you that can tell you whether a thing is true or false, whether it's right or wrong, whether it can be done or whether it really isn't possible, whether it's worth doing or in the doing may prove not worth doing. There is a voice that's beyond conscience, but conscience is a part of it. There is a part of you that is all-knowing. And if you will withdraw, if you won't be attached to the reasonable solutions, and then, well, first of all, be centered in yourself, centered in your spine, rely on your inner power, and then concentrate here at the point between the eyebrows. Just look up and concentrate there. You will find that if you will ask your question of that deep inner silence, you can get answers. Learn to be self-reliant, but mind you, when I say that, there are two selves that we need to consider. The little self is not the self I'm talking about. The true self is that part of you which is a part of everyone. That part of you that is part of the whole symphony of life. That part of the wave of the ocean that is the ocean and not just the wave. If you look at a wave, you'll see that not only is it temporary in its form, but also it's temporary in its substance. The substance of a wave remains stationary. The wave moves across all those different molecules of water which remain still. And so you need to get into that part of yourself which touches a greater reality. To be self-reliant in your own ego is to remain small, to try to tune in to your higher self by daily meditation, by consulting that self and not listening to everybody else's opinions. This is the way of genius. This is the way of real success. And this is the way to become, finally, a true and complete human being. Joy to you.